Part four of Visits to the Dead in the Catacombs of Rome by George Washington Green. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Another common symbol is a fish, which we find both on slabs and on lamps. Here the idea is a little more difficult to seize, and gave free scope to a play of fancy better suited to an eastern than a western mind. You will see the direct meaning by remembering that the Greek word for fish is ichthos, each of whose letters is the initial of one of the words in the inscription Jesus Christos Theu Huios Soter jesus christ the son of god the saviour this symbol was regarded with singular favour by some of the fathers and is especially recommended by st clement of alexandria and tertullian as suggestive of the holy rite by which christians were received into the bosom of the church but a more pleasing and less fanciful symbol is that of the anchor the soothing monitor on life's troubled sea that there is still a haven and rest for the tempest-tossed and weary it was a thought full of a consolation which none but the christian knew and when he traced the symbol on the grave of one whom he loved and called to mind the perils they had encountered together rest he would say sweet spirit rest in thy lord thy cares and trials are over and now thou canst hold strongly to the haven thou hast won fortitur occupa portum the ship belongs to the same class and is still the symbol of the church la navicella di san pietro the bark of saint peter is one of our current expressions and the rudest peasant will interpret this symbol for you as easily as the profoundest antiquarian we find it on tablets and rings clement of alexandria speaks of certain signet rings with a heaven-bound ship upon them naus uravod ramovosa in some of them the symbols are very complicated but generally it is perfectly simple a ship more or less accurately drawn and with a cross for its mast does not this symbolism extend to painting and sculpture asked cole yes as for example in the painting from the catacombs of st calixtus in which our saviour is represented as a lamb standing upon a rock or perhaps a mountain from the base of the rock four streams issue like four cataracts and within a circle that surrounds the lamb's head are the monogram of the cairo with an alpha and omega the rock is supposed to be the rock of paradise and the four streams the four evangelists but what strikes you most in the art of the catacombs is the general absence of painful elements the subjects are drawn chiefly from the old and new testament and more especially from the life of christ the sacrifice of abraham is a favorite subject which reappears in different places but mostly with the same types noah too supplies the pious artist with the means of adorning a great many chapels but almost always in the same way a man in a sort of open tub and a dove with an olive branch the trial of the fiery furnace jonah and the whale 
Moses striking the rock, Daniel and the lions, and various other passages of sacred history are repeated again and again, but always in a way that does more credit to the artist's piety than to his skill. Some of the most singular, if not the most pleasing, of these pictures represent the miracles or other passages in the life of Christ. The raising of Lazarus is one, the miracle of the loaves and fishes another. Neither of them very successful in invention, for in the miracle of the loaves and fishes the artist, not knowing how to bring in Christ and the apostles, has contented himself with a group of men kneeling, as if the miraculous supply had just been consumed, while the fragments are piled up in seven baskets in the foreground. The most common emblem under which Christ appears is that of the Good Shepherd. He is generally represented by the figure of a youth in shepherd's clothing, standing in the midst of his sheep, with one of them upon his shoulder. In some of these, though we find the same monotony and poverty of invention to complain of, the general effect is very pleasing, and the figure of Christ often happily conceived. But we must remember that though art was sometimes resorted to by the Christians as a means of embellishment, they never looked to it for their chief pleasures as the pagans did. Indeed, they were necessarily cut off from the great school of Greece, whose mythological subjects were loathsome and revolting to them. It was not till after the days of persecution were past that they could openly address themselves to the task of adorning their sanctuaries with choice sculptures and paintings, and then, alas, the progress of decay had been too great to afford the Christian school any chance of competing with the bright ages that were gone. One thing, however, to which all writers and the works themselves bear witness, is the gentle and soothing spirit which pervades it. It is eminently the school of love, the school of pure thoughts, enabling suggestions and elevating impulses. The atmosphere that you breathe there has a freshness and purity in it which it would be in vain to seek in the palmiest days of pagan art. Artistically you may be dissatisfied and even annoyed, but still, if you have any of the Christian's spirit within you, you will go back and look, and look again, till your fancy pictures to you the unlettered believer struggling with his conceptions, and striving to convey to the stone or roughly plastered wall some part of that love and devotion that glow in his heart. And then you will feel with him, and these rude lines will swell out into soft and graceful proportions, and the half-formed features will beam with the light of the soul, and you will learn to number among your happiest days the day in which your eyes were first opened to the real characteristics of Christian art. The padre paused, as though his story were ended, but we all called earnestly for the sequel to the history of the catacombs. It is not a very long one, said he. The catacombs had gradually become the exclusive property of the Christians. If not formally, yet for all purposes but the mere quarrying of sand, for which the demand necessarily diminished when the troubles of the empire began. 
after they had become accustomed to them as places of burial and refuge they began to resort to them for worship also and those agapitae or feasts of love which were so incomprehensible to the pagans soon we find in the edicts special clauses expressly forbidding them to collect together in their cemeteries or even to visit them and here we may remark that the name of arenarii was rapidly changing into that of cemeteries though we do not meet with that of catacombs till many years later and as cemeteries they were regarded as belonging solely to the christians the wealthy romans still loved the costly monuments of the appian way and the emperors built themselves mausoleums that their ashes might lie like those of egyptian kings in piles that would defy the tooth of time but the costliest monuments of the appian were destroyed centuries ago rope dancers and mountebanks play their antics over the ashes of augustus and the frescoed cell of hadrian re-echoes with the wailings of guilt and despair while here around the bones of the humble and persecuted christian the children of a land unknown to rome come as you have done to-day to unite with the children of the soil in tributes of gratitude and veneration at last the persecutions ceased constantine came with privileges and favors and the great offices of the empire passed into the hands of the christians they could now build their churches above ground and celebrate the ceremonies of religion openly the foundations of great edifices consecrated to the service of the true god were laid and the whole city began gradually to assume a new aspect not that the inhabitants willingly renounced their idols or abstained from the pollution of pagan rites long and obstinately did many still cling to their national and household gods vainly trusting that the day of their dominion would again return history and what they called religion had become so strangely blended in their minds that they scarcely knew how to tear romulus from his shrine without blotting the name of their founder from their annals they loved too the bloody arena with its combats of men and wild beasts and the brilliant festivals which brought a grateful release from labor or interwove a pleasing variety into the dull monotony of common life thus while the empire accepted christianity and the followers of christ were free to profess their faith openly they were still surrounded by secret or avowed enemies who would willingly have renewed the persecution if they could have found an emperor of their own the immediate bearing of this upon the catacombs you can easily conceive they were no longer resorted to as the only places which christians could worship in with safety but held rather as sacred spots which helped to keep alive the pure spirit of devotion it was still good to meet together in them on the anniversaries of the martyrs whose bones they held and renew at these graves the vows of penitence and renunciation with which they had turned away from the world these graves gradually became like shrines which they adorned with marbles and paintings and rich offerings then it was that the decorations of the catacombs assumed that form which has supplied such abundant materials for our museums and galleries 
the chapels were enlarged and painted and furnished with everything that was necessary for celebrating the sacred rites worthily the tombs were carefully watched to preserve them from injury and many of them decked with inscriptions and sculptures which the original makers must have been either too poor or too much in danger to have placed there churches were built over the entrances giving convenient access to them for the devout a circumstance which has led to the subsequent distinction of names thus those beyond the gate of st sebastian took their name from the church and those in which we are from the neighboring church of st agnes as burial places they were held in singular devotion the christian might now lay the bones of his brother in any tomb with equal safety but he loved best these quiet resting-places where his fathers had found refuge in the hour of danger there was a calm and a peace here unlike the ostentatious grief of the appian the ashes of holy men had made the place holy and the dim galleries with their countless rows of dead many of whom he or his father had known in life were full of eloquent exhortations he would bring hither the precious remains and help with his own hands to compose them in their cell and then perhaps mark out the spot where when his pilgrimage was ended he wished to be laid at their side at a still later period a stronger feeling became blended with this and men came to look upon burial among the saints and holy men of the day of trial as a privilege which might extend its influence beyond the grave it was natural for the popes to choose it for their graves leo the ninth was buried here as late as the middle of the eleventh century honorius and valentinian lie here and when a new empire of the west had arisen an emperor from beyond the alps the second of the othos came to lay his bones in the consecrated soil here are the graves of kings of saxon england and empresses and queens and greatest perhaps in the long list of sovereigns the great countess matilda the friend of hildebrand and chief benefactress of the church but the day was at hand when rome herself was to become the scene of the infinite sufferings she had so long inflicted upon others it is difficult to ascertain what was done with the catacombs in the different sacks of the imperial city when alaric took it there was too much booty in the palaces and houses of the wealthy to leave the barbarians any pretext for disturbing the ashes of the dead and when forty-five years later it fell into the hands of a ruder and fiercer conqueror there was still enough left to load his ships with silver and gold and statues and vases of precious workmanship but the records of these great events are imperfect and contradictory the chronology itself is not always to be relied upon and when we look for the details that would interest us most we find but scanty materials for a clear and authentic history the country around the city was in the hands of the enemy who pushed their advanced posts up to the gates they held thus the principal entrances to the catacombs during a greater part of the siege and alaric you remember besieged rome three different times before he finally took and sacked it genseric came from ostia but during the gothic wars the environs were again in possession of the enemy 
and when tortilla retook the city he threw down the walls and carried the inhabitants into captivity we know that the monuments of the catacombs suffered more or less at different periods but what part of the violation must be attributed to the goths and what to the vandals and what alas to romans themselves we have no means of deciding it does not appear that in either siege the inhabitants took refuge here though it would be natural to suppose that with so many means of entering them from within the city and with such certainty of finding in them a sure asylum they would have fixed upon them as one of the first rallying points in their flight from the conqueror my own conclusion from this would be that during the preceding century the christians ceasing to frequent them as they had done in earlier times had gradually lost their knowledge of the more intrinsic passages although certain parts were still used for burial and religious festivals we know that as late as three fifty two pope liberius took refuge in these very catacombs of st agnes during the arian persecution but the interior recesses which had been regarded as the surest asylum when the knowledge of their intricacies were still fresh in the minds of hundreds who had worked and lived in them would soon become as inaccessible or rather as difficult of access to a new generation as they are to us a long period follows during which our knowledge of all historical events is so imperfect that we cannot wonder at finding ourselves very ignorant of the history of the catacombs chroniclers who dispatch entire reigns in a sentence and compress the history of a siege into capta est herbs can hardly be blamed for passing over a great many things which a more curious age would gladly know in detail there are blanks of many years in the authentic history of italy herself then comes the period of storm again that turbulent and destructive age which converted the Colosseum into a fortress and set battlements upon the beautiful masonry of the tomb of cecilia metella when virgil was spoken of as a great magician and the equestrian statue of marcus aurelius attributed sometimes to constantine and sometimes to a mysterious soldier of gigantic frame who had freed rome from the hand of the barbarians by the help of an owl in the wars of the roman nobles the catacombs were often used as hiding-places in danger and safe spots for conspirators to meet in and plot their inroads and surprises sometimes opposite factions met unexpectedly in these labyrinths and the fierce war-cry rang wildly through the arches startling you would almost say the very bones of the dead but no general conflict could ever have taken place where the falling of a lamp might plunge both parties in total darkness it is natural to suppose that the chapels and even the more ornamented tombs suffered more or less at the hands of these rude men the slabs that are found in different parts of the city and which evidently once belonged to the catacombs show that veneration for the dead was an insufficient protection against cupidity and violence but here again we are at a loss for authentic details 
and the general history is evident enough to every one who has ever walked around the walls of rome or carefully observed the buildings of the middle ages during all this time the catacombs were visited by pilgrims and occasionally used as i have already said for burial the pilgrims to rome rome romepete were the most numerous of all that numerous class they came from all parts of christendom some as a voluntary act of devotion some as an atonement for great crimes and some perhaps led hither by a roving and restless spirit occasionally they were attacked by robbers and sometimes even murdered but the feeling that moved them was too strong a one to be checked by personal danger and they continued to flock hither in considerable numbers throughout the whole course of the middle ages it was for their use that the mirabili and other guide-books were written which with all their imperfections are invaluable to the topographical archaeologist most of them visited some parts of the catacombs to pray or carry an offering to the tomb of some particular saint but their devotion would seldom lead them far into the depths of the labyrinth some of them even wrote their names on the walls as a record of their visit and if you are curious about these things you will find the list in agincourt the period of study and research began with bozio who devoted thirty years to the subject or rather passed thirty years of his life underground and died at last before he could enjoy the satisfaction of giving the fruit of his labours to the world you know the volume that compact and solid quarto with its drawings and inscriptions and a topography that would have driven bodoni mad he must have been a rare lover of curious details that bozio and a most persevering fellow too some of his explorations lamp in hand crawling along on his knees through passages blocked up with dirt and mortar and leading he knew not whither are as adventurous as a search for the northwest passage and then if he came out at last upon a new inscription or found wherewith to confirm some previous conjecture he felt himself richly repaid for his toil and danger his roma soterania and the translation and enlargement of it by Aringi will always be the starting point for a thorough study of the catacombs and how far may we rely i asked on the stories that are told of men being lost in their attempts to explore them many of them are true said he de lille has wrought up that of the french artist into a thrilling description i have never seen it said cole i cannot pretend to give you de lille's words replied the father but in simple prose the story runs thus some time in the last century a young artist inspired by the enthusiasm of his profession and his age undertook to explore the catacombs from one of the entrances in the campagna with nothing but a torch and a thread for his guide as he wandered on through gallery and passage pausing from time to time to decipher an inscription or sketch a monument he gradually became so absorbed in his study that the thread slipped from his hand and he had already gone some distance before he perceived his loss 
Immediately he turned back and tried to retrace his steps. But how should he distinguish amidst the passages that opened on every side the one which had brought him there? He had gone but a few steps when his taper began to fade, and in a few minutes went out. He was standing before an open grave, and the last object that met his eye was the outstretched skeleton. All was darkness and silence. Advance he dared not, for there were pits and openings in the path like those we have seen so many of this morning, and then what had he to gain by plunging deeper into the hopeless labyrinth? He thought he heard a sound and listened, but all was still. He shouted, and his voice rang through the vaults with a lugubrious knell that chilled his soul. Should he lie down by these bones and die? Should he rush blindly forward and meet a quicker death? Oh, for a ray of the sunlight that was shining so brightly above! Only a few feet, perhaps ten or twelve feet, and there were the green grass and the pure heavens and the sweet light. And now all his life came back to him, as they say it does to drowning men. All, all, with its evil deeds and its vain thoughts and its idle hours, and talent misapplied and fond hearts wantonly wounded, all, all came back fearfully magnified, knocking awfully at his soul as he stood alone where none but God could see him. And so young and with such hopes, to die this lingering death. But a few hours ago he had set forth so cheerfully to his day's work, and now he could bear it no longer. His brain whirled, his breath came thick and painfully, his limbs trembled, and he sank hopeless upon the ground. But as he sank, his hands touched something there unlike the cold earth. Could he believe it? He draws it cautiously toward him, raises it from the ground. It is his thread. Slowly now and watchfully, step by step, clinging fast to the precious ball, feeling his way with hands and feet, lest a misstep should precipitate him into some helpless pit, he winds his course back toward the entrance, and oh, how kindly did the stars look upon him, for the day was long past, and how sweet was the air that came laden with the scents and sounds of life. And is the story of the Collegians true also? Too true. There were sixteen of them in all, and they went in as a holiday's excursion. It was several hours before any alarm was excited, and then men set out to look for them. I fear they did not do as much as they might have done, but still I know the difficulties of these labyrinths too well to cast my reproaches heedlessly. All that we can say is that the poor collegians were never heard of again. The padre rose as he spoke, and returned to the gallery. We continued our walk nearly two hours longer, sometimes in the first, sometimes in the second tier, and then for a while still deeper in the bowels of the earth. At last, weary almost with our sensations, and silent as the graves around us, we turned upon our steps and ascended to the day. "'There are the mountains again,' cried Cole, 
from their stern heights they have looked down upon romans and goth and medieval knight and still they stand there the same calm emblems of duration and still they stand there in the glorious sunlight or pointing upward to the stars as when we stood and gazed upon them together but thou friend and companion of happiest hours from whose sweet converse i drew hopes and thoughts that make life a double blessing how can i think of them without remembering thee years have passed since last we met years chequered with life's strange vicissitudes and thou hast long been sleeping in an untimely grave and when a few weeks ago i sat in the chair where thou didst love to sit and gazed upon the last touches of thy pencil and then went forth to the hillside to look upon thy grave the memory of the hours we had passed together in the homes of the dead came back to me like a dream of yesterday the awful veil that shuts out the living from the knowledge of all beyond the boundaries of life has been rent and the mystery of the grave is no longer a mystery for thee thou hast stood side by side with those whose bones we touched in veneration and awe and made thy home with their glorified spirits around the throne of the almighty for in heart thou wast of them even here and the path by which thou walkest on earth was like that of thine own pilgrim the steep and difficult path of the cross peace to thy remains peace to the sweet spot where they lie other mountains thine own dear catskills look fondly upon thy slumbers from their calm and majestic heights the stream thou lovest flows near and hard by with its pine groves and shady bowers stands the home of thy affections and thy gentle spirit pervades them all shedding over the landscape the hallowed influences of purifying thought and making that modest tomb on the hillside a shrine for every sincere admirer of the beautiful and the true end of part four end of visits to the dead in the catacombs of rome by george washington green